Hello, everybody, and welcome to Public Health Musings. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Kingori, a faculty member and public health researcher at Ohio University. We're excited that you could join us today. Today, we have Gloria Ido Frimpon, who's a second year PhD student in the Community Health and Health Program at the University of Buffalo. She holds a master's degree in international studies and a master of public health from Ohio University. She conducts research on HIV AIDS, global health and sexual and reproductive health, and has a critical focus on immigrants as well as refugees. So welcome, um, Gloria. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So um, you are currently pursuing a PhD in community health, and I see that you also have a degree in international studies. So basically, your journey didn't start with um, public health. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey uh, before public health and what motivated you to pursue public yeah, health? Sure. Um, thank you. So like you said, my journey into public health was not you know, really straightforward. I didn't start off with a bachelor's in public health and then build on from there. I actually started with a bachelor's in communication studies. So I was interested in the health of people and thought that, well, if I had like good communication skills and the communication tools, I can educate people to focus on their health and ad- adopt healthy lifestyles. So it was not until I started pursuing like a master's in international studies at Ohio University, where my major again was communication and development, right? So it's still thinking along that lines. Um, that my advisor at the time, Dr. Lawrence Wood, suggested that public health is probably the field I want to be in. So this is like after having a heart-to-heart conversation about my goals and my future plans. So I read more about public health, what public health professionals do, and then, you know, took a health promotion class um, with Dr. Basta at Ohio University. And so after the class, like, I knew that this was the field I was going to be in. And so, um, you know, it was like, I wanted to do um, public health. I want to educate people about their health. So I started with communications, like I said, but then just branched into public health there. So for me, my goal is to become an independent researcher, right? Who would like be involved in like cutting edge research. So I think that moving forward, that is how come I ended up in, you know, a PhD in public health and then also like my journey into public health. Great. So in your own words, what would you say is public health? I think that um, so public health is a science and an art. And um, the science part is, you know, like where we talk about preventing disease, which is, you know, the research, the lab and the field stuff. And I think that I started from the art part of public health, right? Communications and thinking, oh, you know, the promotion of health. So I was more or less thinking of, okay, I need to promote health and like I said, science and art, so you prevent disease and you also promote the health of people. And you promote people's health through advocacy, through education, raising awareness, providing people with knowledge, and then also policy making. So I started public health, I think, from that side, the promoting health side, the art side, and then just ended up with the science part of it. So I think that is, for me, what public health is. It's like a science and art that, you know, we prevent disease with either the research in the lab or the, on the field. And then we also, you know, promote health through advocacy and education and making policies. Yeah, that's, that's a really good summary. So what does it take to be 
a PhD student um, in public health, what is it that you you are doing right now? Um, and how was that process of applying to a PhD program? And how is it different from the other degrees that you have um, completed? So I think that um, applying for a PhD program, I think for everyone, it's like, you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a whole process. It's not something you start in one week and say, okay, I'm done, I've applied. It involves, you know, the process of first, you know, asking yourself, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? What are my skill set? And taking that and then looking at the field. And, you know, we just spoke about how public health is a science and, you know, promoting health and an art. So it means that it's really a broad field that is very accommodating of various disciplines. So finding yourself a niche and then deciding, okay, this is what I want to do. Then you begin to research schools. This is very, very important because the school that you want to go to must match your goal. Do you want to teach or do you want to be in research or do you want a mix of both? It's very important that you actually, you know, examine yourself to make sure that that is what you want. And then as you search for the universities, you find one that aligns with your goal. So am I going into an, a research one university, which is a research intensive university? Am I going into a liberal arts? Am I go? You have to, you know, do that research. The next is researching your mentor or your advisor. This part is very different from, you know, my master's in international health because I wasn't even thinking about who my mentor is going to be. Who, you know, you are just think, thinking about, okay, I need to get into the program. But public health is a field that I've come to realize that um, the whole um, training relies on a mentor-mentee relationship, right? Mentor-mentee training. And so it is very, very important that you research your mentor, who you're going to work with, because your mentorship towards the program also shapes your whole experience in a PhD program. So that there is that aspect of it. And then the process of itself, you know, you write your personal statement, you write... Uh, you, you have your resume ready. There are times where you'll be asked for an autobiographical sketch, and there are times where you'll be asked to, you know, give just an overview of your research ideas. And with public health, we have one centralized system, the SOFAS, which is very different, again, from the Masters in International Health because you apply directly to the school. With public health, most of the time, it's a two-step. You apply to SOFAS, and then sometimes you apply to the university as well. So they are just these two... And each of them may have just slightly different um, requirements for those. So that, those were my experiences, you know, just reflecting on both of them, realizing that, oh, it's very different. You need to research who you're going to work with, what kind of research they are conducting, how does it align with your interests, and also their kind of mentorship style that they have. So those were my experience. So another question about the, the experience of applying to a PhD program, how did you go about, um, you know, marketing yourself to that program, uh, your personal statement, maybe your interviews, um, what did you do and how were you successful in that? So um, one of the first things was to, you know, create a list. I actually, you know, put together a list of schools, um, the, the course content, and then also who the mentor could be, my possible mentor. So what kind of research are they conducting? And one of the things to be mindful of is that um, research interests shifts and change over time. So there were, there were times where I would realize that a professor I was interested in 
was no more conducting the type of research I was interested in. For instance, um, some states started with HIV research, but then later moved towards, you know, cancer disparities. And sometimes it's not that huge of a shift like this one was. Sometimes, you know, it's just a bit of some focus heavily on, you know, HIV prevention, condom use, stigma. And then there are those who focus heavily on just pre-exposure prophylaxis, right? And so within the HIV space, there are just, you know, very different areas of study or fields of study, even just within HIV prevention research. So just being aware that there are times where the professor's interest might shift and it may not necessarily be what they started with like five years ago or six years ago so being very cognizant of that the next thing i did was email these professors reaching out so i reached out in an introductory email where i introduced myself to these professors told them about myself and the research i'm interested in and how that research intersects with their research this is very very important because like i said the public health field relies on a mental mentee much so you need to make sure that your research has you know a bit of an intersection the person has to be able to guide and coach you through so introducing myself the third thing i did after the introduction and of course i always ask are you you know willing to take a student just to be sure that that professor at that time has you know the space and the time to accommodate uh, mentoring a student the third thing i did was i set up meetings um, or interviews to meet with these professors and fortunately for me, at the time that I started this process, we were just about to go to APHA, the American Public Health Association Conference, the annual meeting. So then I used the annual meeting as my uh, like appointment place to go where I can meet these professors. So I scheduled you know, each of them. And so I used the meeting to meet each of them to talk one-on-one. And if you've ever been to APHA, you know that people are really at their most relaxed and informal and on their nicest at APHA. So it was really a nice experience being able to, you know, meet up with professors, talk to them, and sometimes they would have posters or they would have presentations. So to be able to go to these presentations and, you know, give feedback on their work was really, really helpful. I think that that is one of the things I think helped me stand out, you know, the most and helping me get into like all the programs I applied to was just because of, this process i think it really really helped awesome and how are you able to go about getting funding for your phd so most phd programs usually have some sort of internal funding mechanism or sometimes there is you know a fellowship that you can apply to after you have applied to the program so taking the university of buffalo for instance um i knew that the department had its own funding mechanism for students. When I applied, I they reached back to me and told me, oh, you know, we have a diversity supplement that we need, you can apply for. So you need to write up an essay. So the essay was, you know, about how you as a person, what you can contribute to the field of public health. So I did write that essay and send it in. And then based on that and also your research experience. So currently I am funded through the IMSD grant, which is the um, Initiative for Maximizing Student Development under the NIH. So what this grant does is to bring in very promising minority students and to train them in research. But one of the things about research is, you know, to get a grant in research, you must have conducted research. So my research experiences at Ohio University 
actually gave me the platform and the leverage to be able to you know apply for this the department nominated me based on my cv that oh she has experience conducting research so i interviewed with them so you they nominate you and then you interview for them to see if it's a match that do you have enough research experience are you willing to conduct research in the future or you know you just want to come in finish the phd and then leave so it was you know that much being able to have that much with that that helped me get you know my uh, my source of funding and the um supplement which is the Schomburg fellowship which is a diversity supplement in addition to my funding so that was what helped me Well, congratulations on on doing that and such achievement and uh, another question related to that um how different is um a masters and a phd so you talked about um you know starting your research experience um during your masters could you talk a little bit about that um how did you go about that what did you do and then you know transition to now your phd program and the kind of research that you're in so um, at ohio university um i first i was a graduate research assistant my first experience was just you know doing transcriptions and then my next experience was being part of the reproductive and sexual health initiative at ohio university so um this initiative was very helpful in getting me started like the basics of research that is you know just understanding and at that point there's also a lot of mentorship right there's a lot of mentorship coming from yourself Dr. Caroline Kingori Dr. Basta Dr. Hailey you know coming together just that mentorship about the research process which is something that honestly in your masters at the masters level we really don't think so much about it there's you know very few classes or seminars on you know the research process how to conduct research so i think that i was you know i had the opportunity being part of the rsai actually gave me that opportunity to observe research at the various stages you know putting together the questionnaire administering the questionnaire seeing the whole process coming together the irb process come together was actually really helpful for me and being able to you know work with Dr. Kigori on the reproductive sexual health um research we're conducting with college students at OU putting this material together and actually even writing a paper out of it for my master's thesis that whole process i think it kind of it really set me up for success um in my phd program because in the phd program there's that expectation that you know some of these things so even though there's you know constant training there's just that training is meant to build up on a foundation so if you don't have that foundation it's a it creates this gap but fortunately for me i had that foundation from my masters program in the masters program there's it's also a bit more hands on what you get a bit more hands on in the phd program you are expected to be a bit more independent you know you are expected to be a bit more independent in your work uh, in your research so looking for journals and you know coming back to ask I mean, in your masters you can come back and ask your advisor you think this is a good journal and they'll provide suggestions and as in a phd program you're expected to know what is a top tier journal in the hiv field and you know yes maybe talking with your advisor you can decide oh this is the right journal for this paper 
but that step of finding the journals you need to know how to do that and unfortunately like i said uh, most masters program don't focus on that i was fortunate i was in a good mph program and i was in a good you know uh, research program that helped me with those um steps being able to get this foundation before getting and did i answer all of it was i able to capture all of it okay We'll be back after this message. Yes, you did. So I see that, you know, you've talked a little bit about reproductive and sexual health and HIV. Why are you interested so in I this So I think topic? my primary research area started with HIV thought is, and um, I knew someone who was infected growing up and hiv was really misunderstood back then and there was a lot of stigma i just think that for this point a lot of people who grew up you know within most african countries in 90s 80s kind of had that experience right you would always know someone one person or the other if either if not family friends neighbors who you know someone had a disease and for me watching someone you knew and like quite close to just weather away was very devastating and then we spent a lot of money on medication and there was just no much not a lot of results and I, I was quite curious as a child and so I wanted to know more about those disease so I you know trying to read and we didn't really call it it like we, it was that disease that was not named right we didn't say HIV it was just not named we said oh you know they have the disease and so I was very curious and the more I learned about it the more I read about it people's reactions to the family and and it was just you know that thing of okay this is what I want to do I want to work on decreasing the stigma surrounding this disease I want people to know more about this disease and of course the ambitious goal of ending the epidemic but <laughs> so and also um, HIV is a disease that's like rooted in sexual behaviors so I realized that I needed to learn more about reproductive and sexual health to be an effective HIV researcher and like advocate. So those two are linked. So to provide HIV education means you need to talk about sex, sexuality, reproductive health, anatomy. And so I realized that it's very important and that is how come these areas merge for me in that sense. And in terms of, you know, like health disparities part of HIV, HIV is usually said to be a disease of the poor but it's also said it like to be a disease that can really drive you into poverty. So growing up in Ghana, I just realized that with the gap, those who are the most impacted by HIV were those who had lower SES, like socioeconomic status. And we can, you know, we do, uh, when you think about it, there's just a whole lot of factors that go into this. Cause if someone has a low educational status, it just means the person, you know, sometimes the person lower health literacy, lower primary prevention all of these factors coming together to play a role so and also when someone is infected the family will spend a lot of money on their treatments and in homes where there's like not a lot of resources this can drive the family into abject poverty and sometimes the person who may be infected is the person who was the primary um, caregiver or the, prim- the breadwinner of the family and so this was also 
a huge, huge factor in me being interested in this whole area, these three areas coming together. Indeed, yes. Um, HIV stigma continues to be one of the barriers um, to HIV prevention, but we have definitely made a lot of progress from what it was maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, but there's still so much more that needs to be done um, and to help create awareness, um, but also help those who are on HIV medication to adhere to um, their protocols. So I know that in your research, you are focusing on other issues in HIV, such as the pre-exposure prophylaxis among the immigrant and refugee populations in Buffalo. Yeah, so um, for pre-exposure prophylaxis, is like a once daily pill and it was approved by the FDA in 2012 to prevent HIV. So PrEP, the pill is taken by HIV uninfected individuals to prevent HIV infection. And the medication has been demonstrated to be highly effective in preventing HIV through sexual intercourse by 99% and then HIV through injection drug use by 70%. So we actually really know that this medication is effective. But then the adoption of it, uh, PrEP has also been very slow among vulnerable populations. Within the US, among men who have sex with men, um, knowledge and awareness is quite high as well as use. And this could perhaps just be because PrEP is heavily marketed towards the subpopulation. So my research focuses on how to increase PrEP use among those who are vulnerable. And we, I do this through understanding the behaviors and also the factors that hinder the process of uptake. So I, yeah, so that is what I do currently. Okay. In terms of the immigrant population, as an immigrant myself, I'm always interested in immigrant and refugee health. And I'm also, I was also curious to know if, you know, our communities knew that this medication existed, that this option was there. And we know that the research on HIV among African immigrants is quite sparse. But then I think that there's more in HIV among African immigrants than other areas of immigrant health. And the literature shows that, you know, African immigrants are six times more likely to be infected than the general population, and this could also be an underestimation. So I thought to myself, well, I need to do something about this. How can I contribute my quota to my community? And so how can I do this? And this is through the resources and the knowledge I have. So currently, I'm exploring knowledge about uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis and to see if you know this medication the acceptability of it like how can we culturally tailor information about this medication to ensure that those who may be vulnerable in our communities may have access to this so that's where the state of my research right now good that sounds like it's you're going to uh, produce some really good um, and interesting findings and speaking of findings, um, you have been involved in a, a few publications. Um, could you talk about that research um, that you participated and yeah. published? So um, uh, one of our studies was on um, HIV um, attitudes and beliefs among African refugee women within the Buffalo, um, New York area. And the Buffalo, New York area is um, part of the largest resettlement areas for refugees within the United States. So... Um, we examined, and um, this was part of a larger study. So we, the whole study was on reproductive health. And so the questions about HIV stigma and attitudes and beliefs 
was you know like um a part of this and we analyzed this separately and from this we just realized that knowledge was quite low uh, most people really did not know have much knowledge about hiv transmission there was a few misconceptions and um myths about hiv transmission and then um in terms of stigma stigma was quite high um people um expressed not wanting to send their children to schools if they know the teachers hiv positive they won't buy from people if they know the person has is hiv infected and so we just realized that but interestingly among those group we realized that hiv screening was quite high and so we and because we did not ask you know when you um when you got tested and stuff like that we just kind of hypothesized that in new york state when you're pregnant you need to get screened for hiv so most of these uh participants were in that um range reproductive range so we were thinking that okay it could be a possibility that they actually have high screening rate as a result of the policies that exist within um the area one of my research also looked at uh, Ghanaian immigrants. So I asked about perceptions of PrEP and awareness and knowledge and then barriers and facilitators to PrEP use among this group. And I realized that when I asked about perceptions about PrEP users, so, you know, what do you think about someone who uses PrEP? Most participants mentioned being open-minded about it and actually thought that if someone was using PrEP, that person was being very responsible because the person was protecting him or herself and the community at large but then so this this is like really really important like such findings is really really important because then we know that when we are creating messaging on prep for this group we need to highlight you know the community protective factor things that really uh, the community can identify with so it's been interesting you know having some of that and then we realized that, um, you know, on the community level, there was some level of perceived stigma, which was not surprising, like given stigma that is about HIV. But then the participants were very confident that if we provide education, that stigma would be reduced. Like if people know what PrEP is and know that, or you do not have to be HIV infected to take PrEP, you are taking it as a preventative measure. They believe that there will be less stigma attached to that and then also one very interesting thing was the fact that a lot of people did not even know about prep but then they were very positive and you know they had really positive feelings about the medication and then a lot of people just said oh it represents hope you know that there is hope that even if that that one time that you slip up there is hope that you're not going to get hiv so this was you know really really interesting one of the most interesting findings and linked to the perception of users was the fact that most people were quick to say, the medicine is good, I'm happy it's there, but then we're not willing to use it. When asked about it, most people said, oh no, it's not for me. But And this was also you know, rooted in low risk perception, of course. Most people perceive themselves to be at lower risk of HIV. And so just believed that you know, PrEP is not for them, but they are willing to support anybody who would take PrEP. So those were like really interesting findings in my research. Great. So it seems like um, the uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis um, in the vulnerable population, as well as um, perceptions of uh, PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis among the immigrant community, mm-hmm. 
is is not as bad um, as it ha- it was before. And granted, New York has done a great job um, in promoting the benefits of pre-exposure prophylaxis. I think now it's just finding a way of um, uh, you know getting people motivated, especially in these vulnerable communities um, within the immigrant and refugee populations, uh, to utilize um, the pre-exposure prophylaxis. So when we first started, you did tell us that um, your future plans include, you know, trying to make an impact um, in in public health. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about those future plans? Uh, yeah, with regard to the, the training first, you're receiving. Yeah, right like now? I said, be an independent researcher who is like doing cutting edge research in this area. You know, advancing the field of HIV prevention among African immigrants and refugees. Um, I do know that my training emphasizes, you know, my training is heavy on research and uh, professional development and mentorship. My, a lot of my training revolves around these areas and also teaching recently uh, in an online environment. <laughs> so um, I do know that I want to stay in academia and I know that I want to conduct research, teach and mentor the next generation of public health professionals and researchers. So my training, I'm actually really confident and very confident that my training will prepare me for this. My training will prepare me to be able to be at this um, stage, moving on to, you know, a postdoc and uh, a tenured track position at an R1 institution. Good job. I think uh, you have, um, you know, been very proactive, having worked with you. And with what I see as you uh, matriculate in your PhD, I think you will definitely be successful. And um, so just one last thing, what is the one piece of advice that you would give a student who's interested so, in pursuing? Um, like uh, everything else first, you, you need to be passionate about what because um, research is hard. Research is difficult. And there are times where things will not go the way you want. And so just being able to take a step back and, you know, thinking of your why, why do I want to do this work? Why am I in this field? I think that the why is one of the things that will keep you going a lot. And you need a lot of patience. Like a lot of our work is not work that you see um, results the next month, the next week. It's years down the line, years and years down the line. And so just, you know, understanding that everything you're doing now is going to pay off years down the line is like really, really important. And then there's also the perception that you need to be in certain areas of study to be in public health. And I've spoken with a lot of students where they express their interest that, oh, I want to be in public health, but I don't think I have the necessary background to be in public health. Public health is a field where every discipline is needed. So I would encourage every student, you know, to go out. If you want to be in this field, please come in. We need more people. Just be ready to learn and adapt as you go along. So that is my advice for any student who is interested in pursuing public or community health work. Well, thank you so much, Gloria, for taking the time to speak to us. Um, I'm excited to see how much you've achieved and whatever else you will continue to achieve in your journey. And for the listeners, thank you again for tuning in um, and listening to Gloria's story of her doctorate and her research. And we hope to um, have you back on later on this week. Have a good one.